Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. Up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, void to prohibit National Gambling Support Line 800-522-4700. Muckleshoot Casino is your destination for more than 3,000 gaming machines, action-packed table games, and the largest smoke-free area in the state, plus a newly remodeled casino floor and new center bar. Use your player's club card to earn points for free play, meals, or cash back. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Visit us online to learn more about our safety measures. Horse Racing Northwest from Emerald Downs. A look at Washington racing news and notes and events, and a little bit on the national scale too. Joe Whitney, Vince Brune, and uh, producer, marketing manager Wes Petrie's back. Hi, Wes. Yeah, Vince. Uh, good afternoon to you. And you know, I'll start off with some sad news in Washington thoroughbred racing. Richard Wright passed away this week at the age of 82. Yeah, really sad to hear that. Joe, of course, the father of. Uh, Trainer Blaine Wright, and uh, Wright's a big racing family here in the Northwest going back many generations. Richard, a fine jockey, made the great transition to being a very good trainer, uh, both at Long Acres and then, of course, at Emerald Downs. One of the races I'll always remember, Joe, of course, was Flying Judgment, dead heating with Castellaria in the, what was it, the 1981 or 82 Long Acres 80, Derby? 82. Yeah, yeah. 82. And Cast- that was a horse they had claimed for 12-5, Richard. So, uh, but... Certainly many more other big ones just than that, but that's one that comes to mind. That was a big one, uh, winning the Derby at Long Acres, and, and Castellaria had run in the Kentucky yeah. Derby that year. But uh, Richard, a very successful jockey, in fact, uh, double digits in stakes wins at Long Acres as both a jockey and a trainer. And of course, he turned the barn over to Blaine several years ago here, uh, but uh, had a lot of great clients and... Uh, you know, in recent years, I certainly remember he brings a smile to my face because those winner's circle interviews with him, he was a little bit off the wall. You know, yeah. you didn't know what he was going to say, and sometimes it didn't relate to the race. And he said it with a very stoic face, yeah. and everybody around him was laughing and howling and uh, wondering what he was going to say next. But uh, yeah, he sure was proud of his son. You bet. Blaine and uh, Blaine's success in recent years and... Richard got to make that trip to the Preakness last year with the entire family. I think that's great, and, and I'm really uh, great that uh, Blaine did win the Long Acres Mile yeah. with uh, this year with another twist of fate that Richard was still alive. And as you say, I know he was very proud of Blaine and the great work he did. Of course, Richard taught Blaine a lot about the training game, and their horses, that's sure. always going way back. That's been a very well-run outfit that wins with all kinds of horses. That's right. Uh, yeah, Richard Wright, uh, fixture in Washington racing since, uh, well, we know at least the early 60s. And, of course, uh, sons uh, Blaine and Kenny and daughters Sherry and Judy. And, again, the whole family got to make that trip to the Preakness for the whole week last year, another twist of fate running there and winning the Long Acres Mile this year, his first race since that 2019 Preakness. Yeah. Richard Wright passed, as it's been kind of a rough year for that, as in veteran trainers here in Washington. But uh, we're going to have a couple guests on Horse Racing Northwest today. Jeff Metz is going to join us. Jeff 
with those four training titles at Emerald Downs and uh, a really good two-year-old coastal kid is scheduled to run in California this week. Washington bred coastal kid who had that uh, irregular yes. course in the stretch in the Godstein Futurity events. Yeah, and he's going to, I understand, run in the Bob Hope uh, this, I believe it's Sunday. It's a grade 300,000, seven furlongs for two-year-olds at Del Mar. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a tough race, I'm sure. Just taking a peek at the nominees, you got some graded winners and graded stakes placed horses. And uh, But apparently you talked to Jeff, and that's the race they could find. Yep. Paul Beatty is also going to join us. Paul used to be part of the Emerald Downs media staff. He is uh, still a great racing fan, and his Eli Sports Network website uh, covers racing tremendously well, especially the last several months. Uh, He's built up a nice business uh, covering high school sports for Eli Sports Network, uh, his creation. And uh, Paul has some stuff online, uh, very thorough. And he was out here about six, seven hours on closing day events. I got a word for Paul Tireless. Yeah. He, he really pumps out the info and it's all good stuff. Well-researched, uh, well-written, well-delivered. And we were joking on closing day. He was out here. It was a little cold that night and uh, he was in shorts and boy, he was working it. He had all kind of, you were uh, going left and right to get interview prospects for him. So uh he, uh, yeah, he's really been a great uh, asset in uh, Washington racing, Paul Beatty. Yeah, loves the game. And uh, Eli Sports Network, uh, some just great stories over the years there. On closing day night, exactly, it started out really nice, but uh, by the, about the sixth race, it was cooling down quite a bit. And he still had his shorts and polo shirt on. And, uh, hey, D, are you cold? No, 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 no. And he stayed after the last race, the 11th and final, to interview... Alex Cruz, our leading jockey, who who rode the card that day, I believe. And he did, and he rode five winners. Yeah, so right. uh, capped off a 72-win uh, season with uh, in style. Yeah, and Alex, as we know, is kind of a quiet guy, and uh, but a v- very nice guy, and uh, but a very aggressive rider. So it was interesting to watch him. And thing that stuck me about Alex Cruz getting a little off path here this year was his ability on all kinds of horses. Joe, he won many of those 72 wins from off the pace. Yeah, he did, and uh, had uh, just a ton of in-the-money runs. You pointed out several weeks ago that it's not common for the leading rider to have more seconds than wins, but he ended up as the only jockey to win at 20% as well. That last race actually put him over the top. Leslie Mawing needed to win only one race, and, of course, Leslie came in late. Leslie needed right. only one win on closing day to win at 20%. Hey, he didn't come up with that because Alex won most of yeah, them. Yeah, and it was kind of a long shot going into the day, as you pointed out, for him to do it. But he went out and uh, first jockey since Rocco Bone in 2018 with a five-bagger here hmm. and doing it on closing day. And again, uh, very consistent, 25 straight days with a win. So he showed up to ride hard every day. Coastal Kid running this weekend. Jeff Metz is going to join us a little bit later. And also in action this week, a little less talk is in on Thursday at Churchill Downs in the fourth race, a $43,000 starter allowance, Mm -hmm. which she should be pretty tough in uh, glancing at the competition. Uh, Rodina Barrett back there to train her. Of course, she was Washington champion three-year-old filly last year and has a great chance to be top older filly and mare for the state this year. Yeah, and they found a real great spot for her because it's $20,000 starter allowance, and uh, she's eligible. She ran for fifteen in her first start here in 2019. 15, okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think was beaten that night she by was. classic Leah. And, uh, three, three horse photo. And since then, uh, if anyway, if they ran her for twenty, she would have gotten a red oh. tag put on her. So um, she's yeah. So that's a really an interesting spot. She does. She looks like she fits in there. It's six furlongs, so she'll be scaling back a bit. But as you and I always say about her, just get her in contention into into mid stretch, and uh, she'll be in with a fighting chance. Oh boy, she is uh, almost your perfect racehorse with. Uh, stalking speed and uh, ability to go two turns, ability to run the same race at any distance. And mm-hmm. then how tough is she in a battle in that last 16th? Really tough. Can't get yeah. much tougher than her. Yeah. So I think that's a great spot they found for her. Yeah. A little less talk. That's race four at Churchill Downs this coming Thursday, November 12th. Uh, let's talk a little Breeders' Cup before we get our first guest on. You know, so many years, really, uh, if you bet consistently and uh, money management, 
some years it only takes one to come out ahead in the Breeders' Cup. Just hit one race in your fashion, whether it be win bets, uh, superfectas, whatever. And uh, Vince, you got that one horse this year. Nice work. Uh, fire at will on Friday, a 30-to-1 winner. Yep, that kind of made my Breeders' Cup because yeah. they didn't have a lot of success other than that. But uh it was, I mean, it wasn't really that I loved her. She just as handicapped in the race, like checked a lot of boxes and was a big price, you yeah. know, so uh, it worked out. Yeah, he won the uh, juvenile turf at 30 to 1. And uh, wow, we had some long shots on Breeders' Cup mm-hmm. week this year. Five of the 14 winners were 10 to 1 or greater. And uh, on the grass, Four out of seven races were won by 10 to 1 or greater wow. horses. Four out of seven. So uh, the average win payoff uh, for all races was over $27. On the grass, it was $43, the average $2 win at the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, yeah and it just, you know, show horse players are never happy. You know, we had talked the night before, the runner-up to fire at will. We kind of both liked him a little bit, Joe, off breeding and that exact uh, Came back 275 bucks for there you one. Go. So I kind of let a big fish get away with that one. If you're, yeah, well, you didn't tell me you were betting that horse. I was up in your office and I liked the horse that ran second. I didn't bet because uh, he kept coming down, end up going off at three to one. But uh, the way I bet, I'd have tossed your horse in. So yeah, thanks a lot for that. You know, you, okay. Right. Well, and I and I it's I wish I would have because I kind of owe you a thirty to one shot after you gave me one at pine a couple weeks ago. Okay, and then Bodenheimer, Washington bred in the juvenile turf sprint. He was second favorite, and dang, you know, if he would have broke running like he has in so many races this year, he would have been in such a better spot and condition and uh, setup wise. It's they hit the top of the stretch. He was second to the. To the big favorite and the winner was that Golden Pal or what was the name? Yeah, of that, horse? that a Wesley Ward horse, Golden Pal, who was bet like he couldn't lose and ran big. Did get a little tired late though, and uh, yeah, you know you've heard me say it a million times, Joe. If a horse has a weapon, use it. And I'm afraid Bodenheimer didn't get to use his best weapon that day, and uh, hopefully he came out of the race well and will go on to fight another day because he is a very talented horse. It reminded me a little bit of Tis the Law in the Classic who, you know, with authentic winning kind of proves again, if you let a good horse have things their way on the front end, they're invincible. And that one disappointed me because I was looking forward to those two having a showdown. And you could see he was not only did, didn't he go on with it, but he was trapped by Baffert's other horse, maximum security inside. And easy, easy to uh, redboard everybody and say this should have happened and that should happen. But I was a little disappointed they didn't because he, he broke great and l- didn't let him go on with it. Mm-hmm. Bodenheimer, two-year-old trained by Valerie Lund, son of Attaboy Roy, uh, finished eighth out of 14 after laying second at the top of the stretch. He was the second betting favorite to the odds-on Golden Pal, who was the only odds-on winner. I think there was only, I think there was only one odds-on horse, all Breeders' Cup. That was it, and he did win Golden Pal. So, uh, Bodenheimer, uh, better start. Darn it. We probably could have seen a little bit better result, but, uh, still a really good horse. So Breeders' Cup. Yeah. Big pays, uh, good business at Emerald Downs, a lot of interest. And of course they are, geez, the field size was tremendous, uh, over the Breeders' Cup. It was 12.1 for all races. 13.4 was the average field size on the grass couple of stats there so. interesting yeah and there, there was several track records joe yeah. that came down and the track was lightning fast but after reviewing the charts the track certainly was fast but i'm not convinced it was totally speed dominant there were some winners off the pace several of them including whitmore in the sprint who <laughs> you gotta give it up for that horse you and i are still kind of shaking our heads where that race came from but it was it was a a heck of a run by a seven-year-old yeah. I'm lucky I didn't bet that race because I wouldn't have bet him. He was coming off three straight losses, and he's age seven. But uh, the the commentators after the race was over said Ron Moquette uh, looked at the field this year and said, you know, this isn't as tough as most Breeders' Cup sprints. Let's run him. And and dang, if he didn't dominate that race in the end. Yeah. So congratulations to Whitmore, that winner. Um, So, yeah, I wasn't in tune to too many. I had a channel maker on a nice who ran great yeah yeah but he he couldn't handle that uh 
Tarnawa. Europe. I think, yeah, the Europeans were clearly better on turf this year than the Americans. Yeah. Okay, uh, so Horse Racing Northwest, we're going to do a little more personal sports history on the show, but we need to get our first guest, and let's uh, go down to California in a moment and talk with trainer Jeff Metz here on Horse Racing Northwest. Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code SPORTOFKINGS, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining, as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first. 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. Up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, void or prohibited, national gambling support line 800-522-4700. Horse Racing Northwest, our first guest on this week's podcast is four-time leading Emerald Downs trainer, Jeff Metz. Jeff, good afternoon and welcome. Joe and Vince here. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Excellent. Good, good to have you on. Uh, Jeff, uh, first year up at Emerald Downs, 2013, won the title that year, won three straight, added another training title, and... Uh, Jeff, let's just start out by saying if we could get a guy like you in every other year, uh, racing would be better in any venue because you come to run and uh, you've had a lot of success here. Congratulations. Thank you very much. No, it's, uh, it's been nice, uh, you know, coming to the Northwest and Emerald Downs. Uh, everybody was very nice there, and I was glad that our horses fit when we got there, oh, seven, eight years ago. And uh, I've built a, a pretty loyal group of owners, and uh, they're right there they were all new to me that i met there from my time there and so it's been a, it's been a fun run that is great and uh jeff had uh an eventful uh two-year-old race this year the godstein futurity we're going to get to that because coastal kid apparently is going to run again this weekend jeff tell us about that yeah we uh i talked it over with the owner and uh we we decided you know, with the Breeders' Cup being last week and a lot of the good two-year-olds maybe out of town, it, sometimes this race will come up. It's a two-year-old, seven-furlong race at Del Mar this Sunday. Sometimes you'll get a five- or six-horse field late in the year. Uh, you know, it could be more, and you're always going to have some Bafferts to deal with. But, uh, you know, uh, the horse is training really well. He shipped down shortly after uh, the Godstein. And so I've worked him three times in Southern California and uh, this past week, I worked him at Del Mar over the track. So uh, Tyler Bay's got to work him, and he's going to be riding him this Sunday. And I wanted him to get to know him because when you're coming off a race where you swerve the last eighth of a mile, I mean, that can be scary for a jockey. But um, I worked him two times. I did work him out of the gate. And I've added blinkers just to prevent what happened before. Um, it was a crazy situation. It ended up making ESPN bad beats. And, uh, I mean, boy, he's, he's Pollock Report. I mean, you name it. He's been on there because of that crazy finish. Coastal Kid is his name, and he's only run twice. And he had a nice maiden victory in his career debut. That race uh, was on September 9th here at Emerald Downs. And let's just go back to his history. You bought him at the 2019 WTBOA sale. Uh and uh, what'd you see about him that you liked in order to purchase him? Well, a little backstory before sure. on him is I have bought two other yearlings out of the same mare called Cream, or mm. Cream, however you may say it. Mm -hmm. So I had a filly called um, Cast Intention, starting with a K. Yep. And she, she won first time out, her first couple starts in Arizona. A lot of speed, very fast. Then I had the next generation horse, again, both of these first two fillies were by a barrage. And the next filly was called Perfect Promise. Another one with a lot of speed. Uh, her first start, she bolted and uh, then came back and won nicely and rattled off a couple of wins. And she's had a handful of wins for us. Um, and then, so the next cream baby came along. Camino that, Comet, maybe? 
no, that one was, uh, yeah, yeah, you, Jeff, you know that one pretty yeah, well. Yeah, Jeff, we're on Camino <laughs> Comet by, uh, by council member out of Creme, and she was stakes placed uh, at a two, as a two-year-old here at Emerald Downs, and she's still winning, I think, in Canada. She's uh, had a nice career. Go ahead. Sorry for the interruption, but that's another yeah, positive no. note for Creme. Exactly, and uh, so almost everything she's thrown has been winners, and this, uh, now we get to the cult that we're talking about coastal kid who's now gelding but he he's out of the mare creme and he's by coast guard mm-hmm. and so he's a lot bigger than those other fillies the the two previous fillies i mentioned but um i don't know if it's the coast guard that gives him a lot of size or what but he's really grown in grown into a big good-looking colt um he's still playful and there's still a lot like when tyler bays worked him this past weekend he said boy he's still learning you know but mm-hmm. he's Got some ability, some run, and he just reaches for the ground. So, I mean, boy, when I we broke his when he broke his maiden first time, I, I thought he could do it, but it was a big field, and he's still learning. So, but he did. He ran very nicely in a good time, and then to come second start out, you know the start that we had. The horse got loose prior to the race at the Godstein, so we had about a ten minute delay. Two year olds, first time under the lights, first time going long, all these little bit of adversities for two year olds young horses with only one or two starts under their belt. So he took all that in stride. And then, then as we know how he swerved the last eighth of a mile, but it certainly looked to me like he was coming after Dutton and I think he was going to go by. Well, Jeff, uh, you were ahead at one point. I don't think anybody will dispute that. And when you take the lead in the final eighth of a mile uh, in a two-year-old stakes race and you pass the leader, uh, Dutton did show a little response after your horse swerved, but, uh, you know, many observers would say, wow, that was a, a really tough beat, and uh, ESPN agreed. But, uh, you know, there's been some talk on, on, on his swerving action, what might have caused it, and he didn't really duck, as we know that word in horse racing. That's a sharp move to one side or the other. Um, he didn't really duck out. He just kind of made a, a, a diag or a circular almost move. Um, any any uh, post race uh, analysis on what might have caused that? Well, I, I watched the replay about twenty thirty times that night of the race, trying to see what it could have been, what it was. The jockey told me as the photo finish lights come on, right at the last eighth of a mile for the photo finish type picture, uh, that came on and then he kind of swerved i mean there's you got the tire tracks from the starting gate you got the jockey had switched whips and kind of flagged him left-handed i think you had a lot of things that caused this perfect storm for him to swerve out and just try to get away from everything he is a very uh, reactive horse i mean flies bite him he's reactive you know he's jumping and playing because he feels good so he's a very reactive horse and it's just one of those things but the interesting thing that you guys saw live was the jockey kicked his feet out of the stirrups and he still had horse. So he kicks him on and goes and gets third. I mean, most jockeys would have just pulled him up and said, that's that. But Alex obviously said, boy, he's, he had more. So I, I just said, Hey, I don't need the stirrups. I'll just go on up there and get third. So, uh, it, it was a little bit of saving to get the third as opposed to just pulling up. Uh, maybe he would have won if everything would have went well, but you know, that's to be seen another day. But the good news is he came back healthy and sound out of that. Like, like I said, we've transitioned down to Southern California. We're going to see how he fits on this uh, circuit. And then we'll just take it from there. But anytime you got a three-year-old, or soon a two-year-old, but, you know, leading into their three-year-old year, uh, a two-coming three-year-old horse that can run long, uh, it's pretty exciting to have. Hey, Jeff, uh, Steve and Letha Har, the owners of that horse, I've seen them with a few of your horses the last couple of years. How did you <laughs> develop uh, that relationship? So that... Um, it started out with one of my partnerships where I bring in people um, under my partnerships, and we just started out small with a 10% share. Then uh, they got on a couple more horses that were running in Arizona and Golden Gate, and then we went to the sale, uh, like you were saying, and we bought this one, and it was one of the first horses that he owned uh, basically 100% uh, with that group, him and his wife, and so... They also have another horse called Malibu Mistress. You saw her run uh, at Emerald Downs and break her maiden up there. So so they've gotten into a little bit nicer horses, and instead of a 10% ownership, they've gotten more horses. So um, he's very active. He has a handful of horses in training right now, and he does race with me all year long. So 
he's a, an, he lives there in Washington, but not afraid to travel to uh, Los Angeles or Phoenix and enjoy a horse race. That is great. Uh, yeah, Coastal Kid, very impressive. And uh, Jeff is uh, relating to us. His physicality is doing nothing but improve and the ability. He won that first uh, career start by three lengths going away, almost four lengths in an 11-horse field, 18-1 to that day with Alex Cruz, and then came back his only other race, that Gottstein, in which, uh, boy, uh, he was really dynamic in that race as well, his first two turns. So a lot of great they, possibilities, Jeff. I, I always watch races pretty um, uh, objective, not not as subjective as you would when you got the horse in the race. But, mm. but when I was watching the race, and as you know, I had three in the Gottstein, but uh, the They've been working together. They've been running together. And I just didn't know who's going to get the distance, who's going to get the trip and everything like that. But when I was watching it, you know, Coastal Kid was going into the three-eighths. And I, between the half and the three-eighths, I thought, oh, he's kind of dropping off the bid. I don't, maybe he's not going to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden at the quarter pole, he starts coming. Alex Cruz starts asking him and he starts coming. And Steve Har and I were watching the race. And I, I swear, when we come, we start getting halfway down the stretch, Steve kept veering towards the winner's circle and he was headed there like we're gonna win we're gonna win and i was i thought the same thing i mean at, at the three eighths i thought oh he's not going anywhere then he started moving i said we got a chance and then we, we were catching him and i thought our momentum was going by him which it, in my mind it was but uh then all of a sudden out of nowhere i was like oh my god i've never had i've been doing this for over 30 years i've never had anything other than i did have perfect promise who's his sister bolt in her first race but not not in a stakes race two turns to run that good and then have that happen that was that was pretty uh yeah dramatic dramatic yeah it was uh our second biggest purse of the season next to the mile and uh yeah coastal kid uh uh uh, godstein that we'll all remember as long as washington racing goes and uh, maybe he'll give us some other things to remember too jeff uh he sure is promising and and uh, great luck to you. Uh, how many do you have down there in Southern Cal in training right now? So right now we got 10 horses at Santa Anita. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're shipping down the run at Del Mar. Uh, like I said, last week I took Coastal Kid down to work him over the track. And uh, he'll be shooting for the Bob Hope, which is his seven furlong grade three race this Sunday. And uh, Tyler Bays is scheduled to ride. And he got to work him over the track. I wanted the jockey to get to know him. And I wanted the horse to get to know the track. So um, fingers crossed. He came out of that work in good shape. I mean, he just loves to train. He wants more. He wants more and uh, can never get enough. So fingers crossed. I know we're taking on the big boys, but um, every horse deserves their chance. That is great. Uh, Jeff, great luck to you and Coastal Kid and uh, the ownership group uh, this weekend at uh, Del Mar and the Bob Hope. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. And again, good luck. Anytime. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Metz joining us. And uh, Jeff actually does a little podcasting himself. Are you still with us, Jeff? Okay. Jeff uh, Jeff has a podcast, and he, he does his own media work, and he's a good yep. promoter. And, uh, boy, he's got those owners uh, very optimistic on thoroughbred racing. He does. And, you know, he's had some good wabreds before. We can remember Easy Kitty. When Jeff was first up here, a Washington Horse of the Year for some great owners, Bruce and Cass Mahler of Highlander Racing Stable. So uh, hopefully he can have another Washington champion here. Okay. Hey, uh, we're going to transition a little bit, so keep that in mind. This Sunday, the Bob Hope at Del Mar with Coastal Kid vying for some California stakes honors. And it hasn't been that long since a, a uh, Washington Bread has won a stake in California. Baja Sur just did it a couple weeks ago. That's right. For yep. the Mariansky's trainer, Blaine Wright. 29, 2019 Washington Horse of the Year. Yeah. Uh, Vince, let's just transition to a little bit of our own personal sports history before we get Paul Beatty on. Uh, you know, not Emerald Downs racing to preview. So uh, I'm going to go back and say uh, I became quite a sports fan in 1960. Yeah. Yeah. That's 60 years ago. And I remember a lot of what happened in 1960. I remember a little bit of 59. My, my grandfather was a big White Sox fan, but in my heart, I really kind of liked the Yankees and Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle, Johnny Unitas, Arnold Palmer, when the sixties began, uh, they were 
kind of uh, just these <laughs> out there sports gods. And uh, Mickey Mantle's baseball card was really hard to get. And, of course, the Yankees had been winning the World Series pretty regularly since the 1920s. Um, so, yeah, through the 60s, I, I, I did like the Yankees. And then if you were on the West Coast, you kind of either liked the Giants or the Dodgers. And I liked the Giants because I liked Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and, and Juan Marichal and Jim Hart and all those guys, Orlando Cepeda. So, of course, I grew to not like the Dodgers because if you, you kind of liked one, you didn't like the other. And uh, football, I liked the Colts because of Johnny Unitas, and the Packers beat the Colts a lot more than the Colts beat the Packers in the 60s, Vince Lombardi. So I kind of took a liking to Dallas toward the later 60s because they had a chance to beat the Packers in the you know NFC Championship. Ice Bowl. Yeah, a couple of times, really close games, and... And uh, then Tony Dorsett later in the 70s. And since since then, I kind of just uh, love sports still. Uh, don't have super favorites, but we both like the Sonics going back into the 60s, Vince. Yeah, a few of my early remembrances. Uh, October 2nd, 69, the last Pilots game in history. Mm. Me and a neighbor across the street, my dad went, and we were in the right field bleachers, and Reggie Jackson was right down below us, the right fielder for the Oakland A's at that time. Wow, yeah. And uh, the final pilot run, they lost that night 3-1 to one in their last ever game. A guy named Jim Whitaker homered, and it went one row in front of us. And we almost came wow. up with the last uh, pilot ball home run in history. And uh, they lost 3-1, to one and that was it. They ended up moving to Milwaukee the following year. I remember it breaking my heart at the time because I was just getting you know into it and starting to follow the box scores and all that. And it was kind of a harsh lesson in... Uh, in uh, sports being a business. The Sonics, yeah, uh, right about the same time, the 6970 Sonics with Lenny Wilkins, player coach, Tom Macheri, Bob Rule, all those guys. They, you know, they started terribly that year. I think 0-6 or something ended up uh, winning 36 games, and they, they improved a lot over the first few years, and they built up a really good base of fans, oh, you know, they? at yeah. the Seattle Coliseum. So a lot, I remember the first game I went, they against the San Francisco Warriors at that time. And the Sonics won 146-101 and just blew them out. It was on a Sunday afternoon, and that was probably the 70-71 season. So, And I also remember going to Seattle Totems games. Um, one that sticks out, the 1970 playoffs against the Portland Buckaroos and Seattle-Portland rivalry, of course, was tremendous. And uh, Portland had a guy named... Rick Foley, who was kind of a thug, a little bit of a goon, could play the game, but he was him and Connie Madigan were the bad guys. And the game before him, uh, Foley had beaten up Bobby Schmatz pretty bad in uh, Portland. And this, every stoppage of play that night, the Seattle crowd was chanting, Foley's a rookie. And I remember that. And it was extremely intense. The Totems won that night, but Portland won the series. So, yeah. uh, But that was really um, first taste of a real rivalry I had was the Seattle-Portland hockey. Yeah, my dad subscribed to Sports Illustrated, and I remember the covers, you know, Bobby Hall, the Golden Jet with the super fast slap shot, and he made the cover, of course, in the 60s. And But your love of hockey, which, uh, and your your knowledge of hockey is just supreme. Were your brothers into hockey, or was it just, Man, just you? That they, they enjoyed coming to the games and about it, but no, it was me because I was the figure filbert in the family, and I loved just following the numbers and the scores and all that, and... Uh, me and my dad went to a lot of totem games back then. He enjoyed nice. it a lot. Yeah. And of course, yeah, as mentioned before, he got me started on the Montreal Canadiens, which is a habit I can't drop all yeah. these years later, even after some tough years. And it is a little tough this year, you know, without hockey and the NBA going on, I'm kind of used to that. You know, it's a little bit of a change, you, you know, being able to follow a team day to day or whatever. And I, I miss that a lot. So kind of an interesting time because next year at this time hopefully the seattle kraken as i said i don't like that name but i like that we're getting a team will be in town very good yeah um i think you probably will know this and i'm pretty sure i'm right but uh the sonics first season the philadelphia 76ers were defending champions yeah as boston won uh every other title in the 60s Every Amazing. other year they won, except for 66-67. Wasn't it 11 out of 13 at yeah. one point? Yeah. And so I went to a game against the Sixers, and of course, Wilt Chamberlain, Hal Greer, Chet Walker, Lucius Jackson, Wally Jones, there's a few. Um, and uh, I had a 
pretty good figure for uh, mine for stats. And so the game's winding down. It's garbage time, and Philly's just rolling up the points. They're winning big. And the final score ended up 160 to 122. I'm, wow. I'm almost positive that was the score. But Philly had 53 points in the fourth quarter and 95 points in the second half. And I'm telling my buddy, I go, you know, those got to be NBA records, which they were. For a long time, those records lasted. 95 in the second half and 160, or let's see, 95 for the second half and 53 in one quarter. Those were NBA records for a long time. And and, uh, yeah, went to quite a few Sonic games all through the 60s. And then, of course, we both listened to Bob Blackburn there. And you bet. Era. And he was a lot of fun, and he came to our school when we were oh, did he? in, like, fifth grade. And you could clearly see that he really enjoyed talking basketball with kids. He would have stayed there all day, and he was a really a great ambassador for the sport. I've showed this to you, Joe. When modern players complain about travel, you go back basketball reference like 69 70 70 71 it was nothing for those teams to play three nights in a row four games and five nights yeah. sonics had one they played three straight games they played on christmas eve at home and then they played the next night in baltimore yeah. you know and they got one night off and then they played three straight games again so you that know? would have been christmas day in baltimore yes yeah. You know, I mean, it was just, and it was uh, amazing, you know, if you look at that. And it's no wonder they gave up 140 points a lot of the time. They just had to be dead tired. Yeah. And they weren't traveling first class like these guys are now. You yeah. know, there was a lot of coach flights, a lot of sitting in airports. Um, just a different different era. Yeah. So we're going back there, way back. Wes is just rolling his eyes back there with all this 60s and 70s <laughs> talk. But uh, uh, yeah, that's where we go back with our sports history and and uh, I kind of left the super favorite teams. Of course, you know, we have local teams to root for now, and it'd be nice to get a, an NBA team back. We've got yeah. an NHL team, as you mentioned, the Kraken. So. And we do have the University of Washington here in town, who, you know, we haven't mentioned, but of course, I've followed them and you too very closely over the years. One quick story before we go. Uh, I went to a Pilots game in 69, and... Uh, you know, there was a couple players where, as you know, you always check the box score in the newspaper the next day for your favorite player, like Hank Aaron. I always looked at him and, and, uh, Willie Mays and Rod Carew. I took a liking to him. And so I was excited to see the twins play the pilots and Rod Carew went four for five with a bunt single and a triple to left center. I mean, he just, you know, I, he, I loved watching him and he had a fantastic game that night. Yes. So it was a few years later in the early 80s, I was working for KVI Radio and I went to get the post-game guest and Rod Carew had done some good things. Uh, the Angels beat the Mariners. And I go up to him and say, hey, Rod, you want to go on the uh, post-game show? And he, and he just kind of got a screwed up looking face at me and then he said something like, you know, you just come up here and ask me that, you know? And I thought, this isn't going well, you know? This isn't going well at all. And I tried to rephrase it. And Reggie Jackson is standing about uh, three, four feet away with his shirt off and a towel. And he's, you know, he's not the tallest guy, but he's no, got this he's, huge chest. Yes. And of course, he's got a reputation as uh, not, a, not a lily at all. Yeah. And uh, he's staring at me. And I'm bothering his teammate, Rod mm. Carew. And uh, it's not going well at all. And I'm in this never, never land in my, yeah. you know, I'm here in the Angels locker room. And and I finally somehow got through to, and he kind of reluctantly, eh, well, let me get my slippers or something. So he's looking for his slippers to walk over to the broadcast. And I go, hey, Rod, you remember in, a game in 69 against the Pilots? You went four for five, a month single and a triple to left center. And he turned around and had this huge smile on his face he goes we were just talking about that game the other day and so now he was putty and yeah. everything was fine after that but uh that was kind of a weird experience well there. it's interesting though a lot of those players they do remember and they like and and you are showing some knowledge of his career i think which they appreciate too as yeah. athletes you know and uh but I've found that those athletes do rec- – I mean, he, Rod Carew probably had many four- and three-hit games, oh, of hit. course, during his career. Yeah. But everything was a little different about each one, so you kind of struck something with them there, yeah. and now you're buddies. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, jockeys, it's amazing how they remember specific mounts that you'll bring up. I mean, they're awful good at that, too. It's just it's amazing with how many mounts they might ride six, seven, uh, eight races in a day and then all season long. Yeah. I'm finding that to be true. No, that's true. And it's, you know, it's that's part of being the professional, yeah. you know, remembering stuff and learning from things and all that. So uh, now I know what it's like to be intimidated by an athlete. <laughs> I've had that a couple times in my life, too, or a coach or whatever. And it, yeah, for a second there, you're kind of like, whoa. <laughs> what am I getting into right here? Yeah, but it's, I've got a couple of, anyway, uh, there's some sports history from us and we've been in it a while. So, but, uh, Paul Beatty is going to join us next. So horse racing Northwest takes a short time out. Muckleshoot Casino is your destination for more than 3,000 gaming machines, action-packed table games, and the largest smoke-free area in the state, plus a newly remodeled casino floor and new center bar. Use your player's club card to earn points for free play, meals, or cash back. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Visit us online to learn more about our safety measures. Horse Racing Northwest continues. We're going to have another guest on right now. And, you know, podcasts are ubiquitous. And we listen. But, you know, several times at this meet, did I say this before on our show? But uh, I'd go and tell someone, hey, your trainer was on today. You can listen to him on our podcast. Mm-hmm. What's a podcast? I must yeah. have heard that 10 times this year. But this next guest, and uh, Jeff Metz certainly knows what a podcast is. And so does our next guest. He is very media savvy and loves his thoroughbred racing Let's bring on Paul Beatty of Eli Sports on Horse Racing Northwest. Paul, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, guys. Hi, Paul. Good to have you on. Joe and Vince with Paul, who uh, worked in the Emerald Downs Media Department in our first year. And uh, those memories are right in there. But uh, you still have a strong, really, love of thoroughbred racing, Paul. Always have, Joe. Uh, goes all the way back to Grandma taking me to Long Acres at uh, age of, I think, eight. Nice. Cause, hey. Because I was tall. I could get in because, you know, you had to be 10. That's right. So. You're, you're not a small guy. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you had to be 10 to get in. So Paul was doing a little fudging back then. And I know when he took groups around, uh, which he did several times, a whole bunch, as uh, working in the media department and in the promotions department, uh, I, I heard him say this myself many times, Vince, that uh, now uh, uh, due to some misconceptions, I am not a jockey, you know, and here, <laughs> here's Paul at 6'3 and uh, well over 200 pounds. <laughs> that always got a laugh from your crowd and maybe a couple of quizzical eyes. But Paul, uh, uh, you've built a nice business in Eli Sports and uh, you know, Thoroughbred Racing, uh, very happy to be part of that. Uh, tell us about Eli Sports. Well, you know, I was in radio for 25 years and in the middle of that, the, the five years at Emerald Downs. And so media, that's what I've done uh, as a living. And uh, then I got uh, kind of tired of working for other people. So I thought, well, I'll open my own business and we'll see how it goes. And it started off as just high school sports. Um, and we did a lot of broadcasting, it was uh, uh, audio only. Um, and then, uh, that has grown over the last couple of years. We, uh, we have, uh, now expanded to covering more sports. Uh, we still, high school is still at the center and Joe, you know that you're one of our, you're one of our announcers up in, uh, in the King County area in, uh, in, uh, North uh, Pierce County. And we appreciate you jumping on those broadcasts, uh, as uh, you do a great job with that. That's for sure. So it's fun to have you. Uh, jump on those games and and uh, do something a little different than horse racing all the time. But um, you know, when we focused on high school sports, that means in the summer that there's not a whole lot of high school sports going on. So I go, well, you know, I I kind of noticed that horse racing just didn't seem to be getting its due, and uh, so we began covering some horse racing, and it has grown over the few, last few years and. Um, this was the first year we hadn't been able to get out to the track. We finally did on closing day, which was, which was awesome, but, uh, did a lot of writing from, uh, from remote and, uh, was able to, uh, watch the races. I think I watched, I would say I probably watched 90% of all the races wow. that were run this year. Awesome. So, um, 
it was that was a little bit different for us as well. So uh, being on Wednesday and Thursday, you know, and just being stuck at home. So uh, it's been it's been good. We've seen a big increase in the number of views and uh, readership. And uh, it's uh, it's been exciting to be able to do that because it, it is a sport that I love. And uh, we want to make it make sure it keeps going. Couple that come to mind for me, Paul, was you, you did some real nice, extensive profiles on on Howard Belvoir and Frank Lucarelli, uh, going back over their career quite in depth. A lot of great photos and all that. You really, uh, you really, it seemed to enjoy going uh, the deep dig, so to speak, on some of your articles. I, I do, and then that's the nice thing about having a website, especially one that you can tr- control. I I don't put a limit on uh you know length uh as long as it's interesting as what and we have some other writers that that help out doing other things and i tell them look you know we're not limited by space if it's compelling and it's interesting write it um and we talked earlier you called me and and asked me to to be on today so i went back and then in the meantime and i looked over the last year of the number of views um I've written 29 stories uh, on Emerald Downs this year alone, and that's not counting, uh, you know, Larry the Sports Cat's picks, who uh, did uh, uh, picks for every single day um, of of all 38 days. Uh, and I was amazed at the number of people that actually looked at that nonsense. Uh, but, <laughs> well, that's because he, he was a big winner this yeah, year. Yeah, people like winners. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he was he bet a lot of money that he didn't have which was uh <laughs> which was fun but we ended up total uh with uh, the, the stories that we that that uh, were read over the last 6 months uh almost 6000 views and out of that 300 views were from stories from 2018 and 2019 mm. and oddly Frank Lucarelli and Howard Belvoir and Rocco Bowen the one I wrote on the, on him from the Caribbean to Auburn, um, it was uh, was still getting views as well, and you know significant views uh, in my view. You got uh, fifty six uh, people in the last year reread a story that was uh, over two years old. So there's interest, and I know there's a lot of people that are still finding us and understanding that there's a whole lot more um, activity. Our, our most read story this year was actually on how everyone at Emerald Downs handled the COVID and how you opened. And I know we had a lot of readers that were not horse racing fans. Um, that story was clearly the most read. That was hmm. almost 900 views. Uh, second was uh, Barkley, Heart of a Champion. And, and that was a, that was an in-depth one on Barkley. Um, and that, you know, that had 517. So it, it, uh, it, it's growing, and people are starting to recognize it. And we haven't done a lot of, of promoting at it uh, this year. We did a little bit more on uh, social media, and uh, it's just a matter of finding, um, you know, where the horse horse folks are—the jockeys and the owners and the trainers—and and we're starting to find uh, more and more of them, and and they're passing it on, which is appreciated. So it's been a lot of fun. EliSportsNetwork.com is where you can find this. And uh, yep. Paul was out on closing day, as we might have mentioned, for several hours. In fact, he was yeoman because he waited after the last race in his shorts and polo shirts when the temperature got down to about uh, 40. Uh, it was, And uh, you waited for Alex Cruz because he rode the card, and you still have a few more stories that will be coming out from uh, your taping on closing day. I, yeah, we do. We have done, uh, there'll be a five-part series. Three parts are out. We've just released uh, part three, The Horses. Mm. Um, and, of course, Dutton was uh, the horse of the year. Um, uh, you know, and, and Vince was kind enough to include us in uh, in the, the postseason awards with a ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had... You know, you know, we had a couple of disagreements on on what. Oh, you've never been, been accused of. You've never been accused of being opinionated, have you? <laughs> never, Paul's? never. I'll just, I'll just say that that the, the we did I did put in a, a fairly biased opinion on race of the year, and and as as big as the Longacre smile is, 
I had to highly disagree that that was the race of the year this this season. Yeah, you know, uh, that's funny, Paul. I think a lot of times people just kind of are so used to voting for the Long Acres Mile that they just kind of put that down, you know? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And I, I know, like, Phil Ziegler, our track president, he agrees strongly with you, and uh, there's no wrong answer. Yeah, I voted for the races. Gottstein as well, Yeah, because, uh, you know, it, uh, nobody, nothing, you know, damaging happened. Well, it was uh, a very dynamic last yeah. quarter mile. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, which actually, if that doesn't happen... Um, I don't think there's a chance that Dutton is the horse of the, of the meeting. Well, right? yeah, Coastal Kid probably would have got top two-year-old winning the Godstein, yeah. being two for two, and yeah, the history would have been changed a little bit. And and that might have, I, I'm thinking that maybe a little less talk might have been the one that, that got moved up. Or unmatchable. Uh, un, or unmatchable. Right. I, I, those were the two. But the yep. race that I really like this year, and I thought there were so many subplots, and this is very insider-ish as well, I think. Um, you really have to be close to the sport. But I really thought the Mount Rainier Stakes was a, was the race of the year. Okay. Um, there, were, there were so many subplots in it. Barkley, on his way back, we all thought, and that ended up being his final race. At the same time, he's running against former stablemate uh, Elliot Bay, who is now in the barn of Frank Lucarelli, who you know, handled Mach 1 rules. And, and, and they're going up against Barkley. Good Papa's golden boy, go the distance on the front end. He had a six-length lead, and even uh, uh, Take Charge Deputy was moving up on the inside, and then uh, Elliot Bay swooping in for the big win. And on top of it, uh, Eddie, he even uh, he even talked to us about the pose at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "Yeah, that's probably something I couldn't, I shouldn't do, but the, the emotion just overtook me." Uh, and so all of that leading, and that only being the the lone prep race for the Long Acres Mile, there was just so much in of that particular race. Um, and, and it was a great race. I yeah. mean, the three horses within a half length uh, in the end, um, I just thought that that was the race of the year for me. It, yeah, you described it very well. Uh, a lot of plots in that race. And, of course, Papa's Golden Boy coming off those uh, sensational two sprint wins leading yeah, into yeah. that, that, uh, just, uh, boy, you see his name in the entries. Wow. You know, races are, they're races and who's ever fast has a big chance. And he was certainly fast, but, uh, so more coming out at Eli sports network, uh, from Paul Beatty on his trips to Emerald Downs this year. And, uh, the archives as well, some really great stories there. And just wanted to let our podcast, listeners know about that if they weren't familiar with it but uh yeah hey good luck to you and the high school sports you've built up a really nice business boy uh you know if i if i had a a child in high school sports it's a no-brainer to subscribe you can watch the event live and we're talking both men's and women's sports and uh, then you can watch it a half hour after it's over as well and i'm sure the participants love watching themselves and remembering the moments uh a really good idea, and it started down there around Olympia, and it's really grown. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll get back to normal here pretty soon, and and you guys will be busy again. We hope we uh, everything right now stays on schedule to, to to get them back playing in January, some kind of schedule, and and very likely, Joe. Uh, if there are anyone allowed to to watch, it's going to be limited, probably to parents and maybe just a few. Um, so I would suspect that there's going to be a lot of people that that would like to watch that are not going to get a chance to if they can come back uh, this uh, this this winter and spring. Uh, we we have our fingers crossed that we can get back to that. And with that, we're got our fingers crossed that you know we're not that far away from Emerald taking a look at reopening as well. You know, and and we want fans back to be able to get back uh, to the track as well. And and uh, it was a strange year for you guys, but. Again, just I, I can't tell you how much uh, I've been bragging about uh, how uh, uh, this season went off. Um, and everyone checked their beliefs, their opinions, their politics at the door. They had to, otherwise, you guys would have had issues. That's right. Uh, but it really seemed like everyone followed the rules because you all had that singular goal. We want to run. We want. We want to run. We need to run. Yeah. 
um, and and not to have any cases. And in fact, the only disruption the entire year was for air quality, uh, which was interesting That's right. uh, in mm-hmm. itself. Uh, but look at look around. I mean, uh, uh, what other where where else that you know did something that you guys did with as many different people didn't have one case of COVID. There's, there's a bunch of high schools that are competing uh, throughout and, and all over there's issues. Yeah. Uh, I don't know of a state that hasn't had some team have to shut down at some point. Same in the NFL. NBA maybe is the closest, right? Uh, where they bubbled it and, and, and kept everyone there. But you guys didn't. You had to trust each other not to go out and expose yourself uh, uh too much and and it was a it was an incredible uh performance by uh everyone there involved at emerald downs to even get your season in and everyone there should be exceptionally proud of what what they're able to do and by the numbers you can see you brought a lot of joy to people who couldn't uh the, you know that uh, couldn't get there and i think that uh you also picked up a whole lot of new fans uh, from across uh, the country that were able to see the racing. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I hope that this that we can look at the silver lining and and jumpstart this thing for 2021. Very good. Yeah, the handle says we picked up a few new fans, and Phil Ziegler, track president, was on our last previous podcast, and and he gave credit to everybody that. Uh, participated that came together to put this meet on. We were the first uh, sport to get going here in Washington, and Phil Ziegler and Jack Hodge uh, deserve a lot of credit as well because uh, uh, when the building was pretty quiet there for about eight weeks, uh, they were working on the best situation to get going, and they covered all the bases as you just went over. So thanks for those kind words, Paul. And uh, you watching 90% of the races, you were a a (laughs) heck of a participant as well. So thanks for uh, your great attention. And fans, uh, check out Eli Sports Network and the Emerald Downs section. There's more to come from the 2020 season. Paul, You got it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Paul. Paul Beatty joining us, Eli Sports Network. Uh, great attention to thoroughbred racing. So, uh, yeah, thanks to Paul. You know, I like the guy's entrepreneurial spirit, Joe. And, you oh. know, with the high school stuff, he's found a niche, like wow. you said, that is great for parents and students and athletes and all that. And Paul is a hard worker with Paul, a great attitude. Yeah, that thing, uh, you know, there's there's some expense for that for sure. And uh, he, he was having a nice year, uh, 20, 2019 into 2020, a really good year. So... Uh, he's got a uh, little base to work with now, and I'm sure he'll catch back up. So uh, some good talk today. Uh, you know, we didn't say much about the Washington Huskies, who have been a huge part of our sports life, uh, mostly, of course, football and basketball. Uh, you got a, a story or a memory there? Well, I think my fondest memory would be the 78 Rose Bowl. That you know, was really good. First time they had gone to the Rose Bowl since I started following them. They were big underdogs to Michigan and and just came out. And Warren Moon was just on fire. And were they a fourteen point underdog? I think at game? least fourteen I think they points. Were. And Warren Moon was Ronnie Rowland filling in for Joe Steele. Got over a hundred yards. And then they, Michigan was a class team. They came back hard in the second half. And uh, Michael Jackson made the big play down the stretch to seal the win. It was just a tremendously entertaining uh, game. And just, you know, I remember being a little bit surreal. Wow, the Huskies are actually in the Rose Bowl. Look at this. Yeah. And it was just a, a, a really fond memory. Yeah. USC pretty much owned the Rose Bowl in the 70s there. And UCLA had a win with Dick Vermeil, and they had a good team. But how about um, you? Uh, you know, I remember the Huskies. I remember going crazy in the uh, New Year's Day, 64, when uh, they were playing Illinois and they scored first to go up 7 nothing. They lost that game 17-7. But I do remember uh, the, the certainly the 1960 season and a, and a win over uh, number one Minnesota. And that game that you just talked about with uh, Warren Moon at quarterback, Don James' first Rose Bowl win was fantastic. I'm trying to think of a of one that I went to in person. I, I saw a nice win not too long ago. Uh, uh, Jake Locker, uh, they beat Oregon State by one point. It came down to a two-point conversion 
that Oregon State tried, and if they make it, they right. win. If they miss it, they lose. That was a real entertaining game. I didn't go to the Marcus Tuiasasopo game. I, I still think – I believe he's the only player in NCAA history. I know he was – like this, this record stood a year ago – 300 passing yards, 200 rushing yards in one game. Wow. That is, that is a really awesome stat right he, there. He was an awesome college player and a great leader. A little bit, you know, a little bit of kind of Tebow angle to him where he was just a tremendous leader. Maybe not quite the pro candidate you would look for, but yeah. but the kind of guy you wanted on your team. Oh, for sure. And, of course, Junior Coffey, a Husky in the early 60s, uh, and just a tremendous run for him in thoroughbred racing as well just uh, recently retired okay hey thanks for, hey one thing we wanted to get out and uh, we're getting it out pretty late here so if you're listening to the end of our podcast uh we're gonna have a little bit of an irregular schedule from here on to, through the rest of the year so uh we'll be back in december for sure maybe not again in november but uh you can find out through uh facebook emerald downs and of course emeralddowns.com when we're up, just check periodically. Didn't give uh, Doug Whitehouse credit for uh, the recent trivia question. Last week's question, who was the first Washington owner to win a Breeders' Cup race? And that was Vince. Um, would have been Mike Pegram. It was. Yeah. He was part owner of 30 Slews, won the 1992 Sprint at Gulfstream. Herman Sarkowski uh, was a sole owner of Foam Phone Chatter, Chatter the next year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but Pegram was the first, and he lived in Washington at that time. He had his house up in Mount Vernon and all the McDonalds. So Mike Pegram was the first Washington owner to win a Breeders' Cup race. And Doug, uh, you got a couple hats coming from your last couple of submissions. Thanks to everybody. We'll uh, get back with trivia when we're on a regular basis. So thanks for listening to Horse Racing Northwest.